first sacred text this morning is from 1 Samuel, uh, chapter 15, verses 34, through chapter 16, verse 13. And that can be found on page 248 of the Old Testament section of your pew Bible, if you'd like to follow along. Um, Okay. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul, and the Lord was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul? I have rejected him from being king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and set out. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears of it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me the one whom I name to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is now before our Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord does not see as mortals see. But the look on the The Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. He said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send him. Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. He sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy 
and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. The Lord said, Rise and anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. Samuel then set out and went to Ramah. Our second sacred text is from Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. He also said, The kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground, and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed. When sown upon the ground, it is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the words to them. As they were able to hear it, he did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. So uh, we're going to kind of reverse some things today. So uh, now the sermon can be called a pairing and sharing time. We'll start with before I. So, yeah, I don't know what to do when I hear it third hand sort of things. So, that would be 
more important than the things that unite us that we believe in and how we think and what we think is right versus wrong. But it's even more important what is going to break through and make us a stronger church, but is so needed in society, is the ability to get to know each other at deeper levels and build stronger relationships, not just with our friends and our congregations, but with all the people who are in the church. I think it was the vision that St. Paul had when he talked about the body of Christ. And I don't know how else we do it, but really getting together and talking to each other. And I find that one-on-one works better than big group dynamics where some people like to talk and some people don't, right? So we don't really get to hear from everybody. So I think if we want to be a stronger church, that I think it's really important that uh, whether it's something we're instinctively comfortable with or not, that we try to engage one another. Um, and the questions that we pair you up with are ones that hopefully try to do that. You might remember that the very first week I suggested, and it's always a good question, um, one question that you can share on is, where are you from and how is where are you from shaped who you are today? Very interesting kind of question, which is much more than just saying where are you from. It's actually getting a little reflective on that and sharing and getting to know each other a little bit more. So today, um, I invite you, whether you're naturally comfortable or not, to, to take the challenge here and remember that there's a couple things that we ask you not to do, which is couples um, should uh, find somebody else because you can repeat the exercise and you get home. Um, and secondly, uh, see if you can, if you can stretch yourself to maybe talk to somebody who is uh, maybe not always the easiest person for you to talk to or you don't know as well or something like that. See if we can kind of mix it up a little bit over time. So here's the question. I'll give it to you a couple of times. It's actually in your bulletin. And then you can pair up and have a few minutes of conversation. So it, hopefully this is both fun and serious. What are the first three things you would do if you were God? What are the first three things you would do if you were God? The water goes over you. You become God. What are the first three things that you would do? I invite you to find a partner and uh, pair up and share for a few minutes. <laughs> so let me, uh, if, if anyone's willing to share a, a good idea that you had. You just became, you came to the conclusion you need to become God, but did you name three things you would do? Yes, we would open the hearts of people open. so that they would be more loving. Open the hearts of people so they'd be more loving. Um, make world leaders be humble so that they could learn compassion and empathy. Make world, world leaders humble so they could have some more compassion. And clean the oceans. Clean the oceans. Kind of shifted on that third one there. Threw me off. All right. Connie. Take care of all the children in our world. Oh, take care.
care of all the children. Peace throughout the world and love everybody. People, God talk to you, communication. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, this is not mine. This is my words. Uh, but uh, I think it sums it up that God would have a stronger presence in our daily lives so that we would always walk in the knowledge that God is with us 24-7 and that we would be more aware of our actions because we would be more aware of the presence of God. So we understand that you've got to answer the door if God knocks and then there's the people who don't want to answer the door. But uh, if he could just maybe shove it open. (laughs) (laughs) So imagining a world where we would be aware of God's presence 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes. And that that would guide your... It would guide you. Your, your every process. Mm-hmm. Nice. And to go along with that, mm-hmm. you know, there's, I don't know how many different religions in this world that basically are the same. Unless make it all come together so that there's not all the fighting and fear that we all just love one another. Bring all the world religions together. Less fighting as a result. happening on the ground among people and authorities and things like that. 
we sometimes read these things a little bit, I think, too literally. Remember, the Bible, a bunch of books written by human beings, telling stories of how they, as they've been right as they're writing them, have been inspired by God to tell these important stories. And so, in the Samuel story, we kind of have a picture of how. God has journeyed with the people of Israel. So, first of all, there were judges who were more like wise, discerning counselors. And the people got frustrated with that because there wasn't enough clarity. Have you ever been in that situation? Um, we don't really want someone to rule over us, but we, we want something clear. We're going to know where those boundaries are. And so, they kept asking God for a king. And so God anoints the first king in Saul. But it doesn't work. God actually warns, if you go back and read, God actually warns, you know, you don't really need a king. But Saul disappoints. And this reading is the process of a new type of leadership getting chosen. And, you know, if you were God, you would do things a lot different in the world. Well, one of the things we see throughout the Bible stories from beginning to end is that God often is presented as giving us a different perspective than what we would normally think of. So normally, think of, you know, we've, we talk sometimes in our society today about how women still aren't equal with men and there's still a lot of prejudice and all that. But back then, you know, it was a very hierarchical, dictatorial, patriarchal society. They're not going to break that here because there's not going to be a woman king to replace Saul. But this is the process of choosing. And David is this little boy. He's the youngest. He's not even taken seriously yet. So when Jesse brings out all the sons and, and um, Samuel's there helping speak and discern on the sake of God, um, all the... Samuel's hearing is, don't go with the norm. You know, don't go with the expected cultural prejudice here. That would be the oldest son, right? We go all the way down to the very bottom. It kind of reminds me of how um, Jesus in the Gospels always has a preference for the poor over the powerful. Here, I like this. I'm the youngest, but only of two, so it's not too bad. Um... But, but God is calling for the youngest, the one who's the least experienced, the least prepared, but the one whose heart hasn't been hardened, still has a heart to come forth into leadership. So you might think of, you might reframe the question you had in Paris and say, uh, uh, what kind of leadership would you call forth in your community, in your country, in the world? If you were God, what, what, what wisdom would you impart to the prophets of our day, those who can hear this God clearly because they are aware of God being present 24 hours a day, seven days a week? So there's a little bit of a surprise in the choice of David. And then we come to the gospel reading. And once again, through Jesus' parables, 
the tables get a little bit turned. This is the second parable of the seed in Mark's Gospel. And I think the first one's more popular because it talks about what kind of ground the seed goes on and if it goes on bad ground. So, you know, it focuses on don't waste your time on those who can't be saved, right? They're hopeless already. And it shows about the good soil you need for seeds. But what happens in this one? The kingdom of God is that someone would scatter seed on the ground. Just scatter it. Anywhere. Not even We don't even know whether it's good ground. And would sleep, do nothing else, and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. Anybody got a garden like that? Amazing. And he doesn't know how it happens. Alright. Alright, if you're God for a day, are you going to let it happen this way? Are you going to take control? You know? This unconditionally loving God thinks very different than even those of us who keep trying to follow God think. This unconditionally loving God covers the seeds no matter what kind of ground they're on. Sees opportunity and the seeds that are planted in the worst possible area. In fact, this is the kind of God who just doesn't judge who deserves the love, just scatters it indiscriminately to even those who you don't think deserve it. Okay, think for a second, honestly. There's probably somebody in this world who you think doesn't really deserve to be treated so kindly by God. I know, we shouldn't think that, but we all do. We all do. It's, it's, it's honest to say that we do. Now we continue into this mustard seed, and the mustard seed is so interesting because the focus here is on how something really small makes something really big. Um, but my understanding of mustard seed, anybody seen mustard seed grow things? You have, do you have one, Liz? And what does it grow like? Like a giant bush. Like it's, it's just a field. You it. Is it pretty? Yes, it's gorgeous. You like it? Yes. So you would agree that it's the greatest of all shrubs? <laughs> top, top, top 20. Top 20. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It kind of grows like the kind of like the blackberries do in western Washington, I think, doesn't it? just kind of keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. So, once again, it's very compatible with what we just heard. The mustard seed is, grows something that just never stops. I mean, if you don't cut it back, it's going to keep, it's, it's going to grow like a weed. And, I'm, Glad to hear that Liz thinks it's beautiful because I've heard some people say it's ugly. So I guess we all have our personal opinions, but maybe Jesus thought it was the greatest of all shrubs. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't know if that means it definitely is or not. Um, so something small becomes something uncontrollably big. And we're sharing pictures of mustard seeds growing back there. 
That's right. You, you can circulate through. Everyone can see it if you want. <laughs> so, it's a wonderful thing. Um, but, you know, don't we often make the judgment in life that nothing can be that vast and wonderful if it starts so small? Right? So Jesus is filled with these parables that turn the tables on our, on our normal thinking. Um, and... If we were God for a day, would we do it this way? Maybe. But that's part of what it means to come to church. Because I think if we just had a wand waved over us and became God, I know it would be true with me. I'd set everything right my way. And I guess it might have a little God mixed in. But it had a lot of my stuff mixed in. A lot of things in this world that have made me mad. Right? Mosquitoes. <laughs> mosquitoes. Wouldn't have any mosquitoes. <laughs> when we come together in church, when we spend time studying the sacred texts, when we look back at those over the generations who have sought to be to understand God's presence with them 24-7. We realize that the less we're conscious, the more other things seep into our understandings, and then it's going to be dangerous if we're God. Church is a place where we commit ourselves publicly and to one another to try to live with that understanding of God's presence 24-7. Learn to live and learn about that wisdom of God that emerges from within us when we're paying attention. To learn to act in the smallest of ways like the mustard seed. Not try to change the world in big ways, but in the smallest of ways, act more consistent every day with that unconditional love of God that gets scattered indiscriminately. Can we do that? This is what the spiritual journey is about, and we can't do it alone. This is what the church journey is about. And as we pair and share and step over uncomfortable boundaries to try to do this more and more, maybe this small mustard seed will just grow wild and become the visible example where everyone says, Paul, the United Church of Christ, the greatest shrub in the area. Maybe. Amen.